Hi, this is Janelle Penny, Editor-in-Chief of Buildings, and today I'm joined by Erica Walker, who is the Director of Environmental Policy and Programs for the digital water company, 120 Water. Today we're talking about what happens to the piping in buildings that might be sitting unused for a few months while we're all working remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic. Erica, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Janelle. So what happens when pipes sit unused for a while and what causes problems with them? Yeah, the water really needs to flow. And when it doesn't flow regularly through our plumbing systems, harmful metals like lead or copper can leach out or harmful organisms like Legionella, which can lead to pneumonia, can grow and enter our bodies. Um, exactly how this happens in buildings and how we can prevent it from happening is really still being understood by researchers. But for the sake of simplifying the complex, we should really be concerned about two issues. The first is the corrosion of metals in our infrastructure and then the loss of disinfection power, which can lead to the growth of bad organisms on the insides of our drinking water pipes. And utilities try their best to keep corrosivity down but those measures can fail um, in large buildings. For instance, um, the pH of water can decrease as stagnant water sits in plumbing, which makes lead and copper more likely to come out um, into our drinking water bottles. And then, you know, the same is true of disinfection. To disinfect our, our drinking water utilities or building managers might use chlorination, but disinfectants can get used up over time, and then bacteria and viruses, the bad stuff that can grow inside water pipes, they're survivors, and they've kind of evolved to, to thrive in those environments. Interesting. So how long does it take these things to become a problem, and when do facilities managers need to start worrying about it? Yeah. So... There's a lot of unknowns here, and that question of kind of when is really dependent on water chemistry and the types of disinfection processes that are being used and what your plumbing infrastructure is made of, or even how long water has been sitting um, stagnant in the building. But uh, we do know that some studies have found that lead concentrations can increase after sitting in pipes even just for several hours. We just can't predict exactly the hour it's going to happen for the average building. I think for, for your crowd that's listening in, though, it's safe to say that the concerns that you and I are raising here are um, they are going to be relevant to any school returning after COVID. That uh, corrosion of metals and then the loss of that dis disinfection um, effectiveness. And in general, I would say, too, that water stagnation is really an issue for these large uh, premise plumbing systems after any long extended break. So um, thinking about how you as a facility manager are going to deal with the present crisis will pay off in the long run. I think this kind of gives us an opportunity to think about how we manage water in large buildings, period. Great. So you've mentioned a couple of scenarios where um, different types of buildings would have problems. How do we know whether a specific building has a problem and what kind of testing can we do to see if there's a problem in the pipe? Yep. At the loss of disinfection effectiveness and growth of organisms in a system is it's really a potential for any building, as I mentioned before, that that isn't in use for a long period, especially if you disinfect or treat your own water supply in the facility, then I would say you should consider 
monitoring um, what's called your disinfection residual more regularly uh, right after you return from COVID and probably right before um, you reopen the building. And then if, if you and your facility, if you purchase water from a utility, you can either call them and ask them how they recommend monitoring um, for disinfection in this post-COVID world. Um, or there are also relatively inexpensive field instruments that you can purchase and they'll allow you to monitor chlorine residual um, and temperature right there on the spot. I think lead and copper, um, lead especially in facilities is kind of an inherited problem and it's a little different. Really any, any building that's constructed before 2014 could have leaded plumbing products in the system, things like solder and leaded brass. In fact, um, there are manufacturers that used to line water cooler tanks with lead before this practice was banned. So um, many facilities, especially schools, unknowingly purchased those products over the years. And it's not just schools. I, I actually, I, I recently bought my first house and um, I went down in the basement and opened my grandpa's toolbox up and I found um, an old container of, of solder that was 50% lead, 50% tin. So it's also just kind of out there on the market um, and sometimes still being used. And, you know, the, the impacts of lead are, are really well understood. It's not like zinc or iron. None, no amount is good for us. Um, and especially in the school space, it can really negatively impact a child's ability to learn. Um, so on the testing front, you had asked about that. Um, staff can determine if lead is going to leach from that from their plumbing parts with water samples, and then they can also try to identify the plumbing materials themselves that might contain lead um, with things like lead check swabs. I would recommend starting with water sampling first and then layer in those swabs later on to pinpoint lead sources after you see the results. And this is true also of, of copper. Um, Copper can be tested through water as well, and even though it has some negative health impacts for us, it gets a lot less uh, attention than copper or than lead. <laughs> Great. So we've talked about some different tests that we can do, but we also don't know how long it will be until our buildings can be occupied again. So what should we be doing right now while our buildings are still shut down or at minimal occupancy? And then what additional steps should we take when our buildings are just about ready to be occupied again? Yeah, I think it's a good time to at least get some plans in place. Um, sample plans for metals testing, so figuring out where all of your drinking and cooking water fixtures in your facility are and then thinking about how you might test them. Um, that would be great planning to do. Uh, things like water management plans, that, that term is sort of specific to Legionella management. Um, but planning that uh, will enable you to monitor and sort of discourage that bacterial growth. Now's a good time, I think, for those that have the ability to, to sit back and do some, some projects management and planning. And then um, it's also a good time to develop a flushing plan. So um, flushing, bringing that fresh water through the building, that's going to discourage bacterial growth. It's going to bring that new freshly chlorinated water through the system, and it's also going to discourage uh, heavy metals from coming out into drinking water. So um, there's lots of great advice out there on flushing protocols, but generally you, you start it where 
the water um, enters the building and then you kind of move downstream by opening up all the fixtures. So um, certainly before people come back into the facility, um, think about your flushing plan and then when they come back in, um, flushing regularly at least once a week is, is advisable. Is there anything else we need to know about getting our piping ready for reoccupancy? Yeah, I would just point to some of the great references that are out there. Um, I'm, I'm talking to you today from Bloomington, Indiana, and in my own state, the Purdue Center for Plumbing Safety has a really great uh, facts page on getting uh, big premise plumbing systems ready to be used again after COVID. And they even have some flushing plan templates. And um, the CDC has released some guidance on this as well. If you're interested in lead testing for facilities, schools and daycares and others, um, the EPA has some guidance called the three T's out there as well. So I would just point folks over to those resources. Great. Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Janelle. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.